0: Welcome to the Michigan Out of Doors Podcast, the voice of conservation brought to you by Michigan United Conservation Clubs. The Michigan Out of Doors Podcast is brought to you by our partners at Michigan Oil and Gas Association and the Michigan Department of Natural Resources Wildlife Habitat Grants, which funds our on-the-ground program to improve public land wildlife habitat. Sign up for a project near you at www.mucc.org on the ground. Welcome to episode 23 of the Michigan Out of Doors Podcast. I'm your host, Drew Youngdike with Michigan United Conservation Clubs, and also of MUCC, we have my co-host, Logan the Bear Slayer Schultz. Our guest today is Michigan United Conservation Clubs Executive Director, Dan Eichinger, and we're going to be talking about aquaculture today, specifically competing legislation about whether or not to allow commercial net pen fish farms in the Great Lakes. And before you say, what is that? It's basically something that could happen that would be really bad for Great Lakes fishing. So let's just dive right into it. Dan, why would commercial net pen fish farms in the Great Lakes be terrible for fishing?
1: Wow, put on a pot of coffee because this is probably going to take a while. There are (laughs) a lot of things wrong with net pen aquaculture. So... Three main issues from an ecological perspective why net pens are a terrible, terrible idea. One is nutrients. So you basically put a big fish enclosure out in the lakes. You throw, dump a couple hundred thousand fish in there. Those fish have to eat. So you spray a bunch of food on top of the surface water. Um, 15 to 20% of that food doesn't even get eaten by the fish, and it goes directly to the bottom Uh, The other 80 to 85% of that food gets eaten by fish, and when you eat something, you have to eliminate it. So you create these zones underneath these net pens that are just totally overloaded with this kind of nutrient pollution.
0: And for those of you who are wondering, what is this nutrient pollution you're talking about? There's really only one way to say it. it's fish poop. It's a lot of fish poop all in one location. Um, let's dive into that a little bit deeper.
1: Into the fish poop. Let's hey, dive deeper.
0: Into the fish poop. Let's dive headlong into the fish poop. And and the reason I say that is that over the last two weeks, there have been numerous uh, legislative committee hearings over competing legislation, both to proactively ban. Uh, great lakes net pen aquaculture facilities in the great lakes that we're supporting and competing legislation to specifically allow them Um, one thing that we've heard from the proponents of net pen aquaculture is that they're claiming that all of this fish poop will actually be good for the fishing um what 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 is your response to that what do you have to say about that
1: that is an absolute absurdity There is no, as in zero, scientific data that would support that claim whatsoever. Water quality experts, university researchers, agency professionals have been looking at the problem of nutrient pollution for over four decades. There is not a single piece of credible science with any data to to back it up that would suggest that creating these nutrient loaded areas where, which are toxic to fish where fish cannot survive and which necessarily degrades water quality is somehow good for fish and good for water quality it is an absolutely abs- absurd argument and you don't have to look any farther than the fact that the only people who would make such a claim are the people who would potentially profit from allowing net pens in the Great Lakes it's an absurdity, it's like suggesting that the world is flat or that the earth is somehow the center of the universe. It has no basis in fact and does not belong in any serious conversation about this issue at all.
0: Um, Let's contrast that with the people that are employed in the charter fishing industry, Um, some of our members, the Michigan Steelhead and Salmon Fishermen's Association. Dan, how many people are employed in... You know charter boats. Um, you know what's the economic impact of the sport fishery that would be put at risk by this type
1: of facility? Well, I mean, net pen aquaculture doesn't make any sense from an ecological perspective. It makes even less sense from an economic perspective. The sport fishery in the state of Michigan is like a four point two, four point three billion dollar industry. It supports thirty five, thirty eight thousand jobs, something, something on that magnitude. So the industry, and we're not even talking about, you know, we're just talking about the economy that's supported by the sport fishery. We're not even talking about um, all the other economic activities that are supported by having clean, healthy, vibrant lakes. We're just talking about fishing, which is, you know, which is the segment of the economy which would most directly be impacted by um, all the bad things that would arise from net pen aquaculture. So, a 4.3 billion dollar industry, 38,000 jobs. You contrast that with uh, about four million dollars of estimated benefit to Michigan's GDP, and I'll even spot you a few extra jobs. Forty. You know, that's kind of what the the studies are saying. Forty new jobs and about four million dollars to the GDP. Now. I'm not that good at math, but even I know that $4 billion is 1,000 times greater than $4 million. I just can't understand why anybody who wants to support Michigan's economy, they want to support our coastal communities, they want to support our sport fishery and all the jobs, the 38,000 jobs that go along with it, why you would tell all those people and all those communities and all those jobs that you don't matter and you matter a lot less than the... Uh, $4 bucks, we think we might get over here and the 40 net total jobs that might come to pass, best case scenario. It's ludicrous.
0: And actually, we've already asked those communities what they think about it. And it's pretty clear what the communities, both throughout Michigan and specifically in northern Michigan, where these uh, projects are being proposed, uh, think about that. Um, So last week, uh, the results of a January... statewide poll of Michigan voters was
1: conducted. Dan, what were the results of that poll? Well, as you say, it was a statewide poll. It was commissioned by Michigan Trout Unlimited and conducted by Epic RMRA, which is a research firm, polling firm in Lansing. They're used by a lot of people. Uh, Reputable firm. This was an unbiased poll. Um, So information about you know, information on the argument in favor of net pen aquaculture and information opposing net pen aquaculture was presented to voters, and they were basically asked a yes or no question: Do you think that's a good idea or not? So, 68 percent of the public said no. This is an absolutely crazy idea. Twenty uh, percent of the public said, "Yeah, okay, maybe it's not such a bad idea." And the balance weren't really sure. When you look at the cross tab, so you look at the details of who those people are, where they live, what their income is, what their education level is, what their party affiliation, their political ideology, you look at all those different data points to try and figure out, okay, are there some differences based on um, gender and geography? So do um, women who live in the thumb area feel the same about it as um, men in on the west side of the state? Well, the interesting thing, and you don't see this real often... Um, except on issues where there is clear consensus among the public. And that's what we have here. V- you know, Literally every data point, there is consistency, overwhelming support, opposing that pens in the Great Lakes. It doesn't matter if you're uh, a Republican, if you're a Democrat, if you're liberal, conservative, male, female, high-income earner, low-income earner, high school education, college education, um, northern Michigan, southern Michigan, metro area, rural, doesn't matter. The data is all the same. The data is all overwhelming. Nobody thinks this is a good idea.
0: And I think uh, one, one of the striking things to me when I looked at the poll was from actually my home region of northern Michigan. And this is really where you're talking about like Knuckles North. If you're looking at your your hand as the map of Michigan, Knuckles North is northern Michigan. And that's where two of these are being proposed, one off Rogers City, one off Escanaba. And the opposition to Great Lakes pen Aquaculture in northern Michigan is even higher. It's 77%. And there's a a sampling error, you know, basically of plus or minus 4%. So that could even be as high as 81%. You know, it could be down to 73%. So you're basically talking about 8 out of 10 people in the region of the state where you're actually talking about putting these facilities says, no way, not in our waters, not in my backyard. But yet you have some of the legislators who are pushing this actually from that area too. And that's why if you go to Michigan United Conservation Club's Facebook page or website, you're going to see a list of all the legislators from the Northern Lower Peninsula in the House of Representatives. And some of them, you know, are on the right side of this, some of them not. But we have a list there for you to call your state representative and tell them no net pens in the Great Lakes, not in our waters. Um, Let's go back to some of the... The biological risks for fisheries. Um, you've talked about the the effluent, the nutrient pollution, the fish poop, for lack of a better word. And it's just fun to say fish poop. But um, aside from that, what are some of the other risks to the fisheries
1: that net pen aquaculture could have in open water? So you, the, one of the other issues that we have to be cognizant of um, from an ecological perspective is the transmission of fish disease. So the species they're talking about putting in these nut pens, rainbow trout, um, salmonids of salmon, the salmon and trout and salmon family. These are not schooling fish, um, and fish disease exists endemically in the lakes, which means that you know there's some level of fish disease that's sort of always in the lakes, always present. And you know, due to natural occurrences, you know there are times when you see an outbreak of a certain disease. Twenty-five years ago, we had a, an outbreak of bacterial kidney disease in salmon. Killed a lot of salmon, killed a lot of Chinook. Um, It fundamentally altered um, the charter boat fishing industry. Natural occurrence, okay? So what happens is when you have a net pen or any other unnatural concentration of of animals, livestock fish, that don't naturally school and aren't naturally congregated, the propensity for you to exacerbate um, what might be a naturally occurring disease issue is that much greater. So you could take um, take a net pen, put it in an area where there's endemically a certain level of this disease that exists out out in the environment. Um, you put that net pen in there, and all of a sudden now you have accelerated the the potential rate of outbreak, the rate of transmission. That disease can go um, from outside the fence or outside the barrier to inside the barrier, uh, transmit a great deal uh, within the fish there, and then again be transmitted outside of the barrier so what these things will do is just simply accelerate um, accelerate the propensity for disease transmission exacerbate the potential for outbreak so that's a major 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 concern we talk about um, you know how dynamic the lakes are, um, how susceptible uh, the fishery is to changes in the lakes um, you have the ability, um, to uh, treat potentially f- livestock fish, you could administer an antibiotic or whatever it might be, we don't have that same ability uh, in the Great Lakes. We can't drop antibiotics across all of Lake Michigan to hopefully inoculate uh, the fish there from, from a disease. We don't have that response available to us. So we just have to weather those changes however bad they might be. So that's, a, that's another major concern is what this is going to do in terms of um, accelerating or exacerbating uh, disease outbreaks and disease occurrences in the lakes.
0: Logan, you catch all that?
1: I did catch all that.
0: Okay. You can tell why Dan is our boss. Because Dan uses words like exacerbate and susceptible. And we use words like fish poop. <laughs> but, no, I... I you know you explained it very very clear I think um you know what happens on the biological level when disease gets transmitted and and in group like that basically it just means that you've got wild fish they might have a little bit of disease they're going to transfer it to this big group of farm fish they're going to spread amongst themselves and spread it back to wild fish in either in even greater amounts um so that's the disease issue um Dr. Brian Burroughs with, with Michigan Trout Unlimited was testifying earlier today. Um, he also brought up escapement. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what does escapement mean, um, particularly when you're talking about farm fish and, and what happens if they breed with the wild fish?
1: Well, let's... Um, so escapement is a, a real easy issue. There is, some, there is a fairy tale out there that's being told by the folks who want uh, to put these things in your Great Lakes that the fish um, that they put, these livestock fish that they're going to put in these nut pens, are going to be sterile. In other words, they're not going to be able to reproduce should they escape. The reason why that's a fairy tale is that um, the technique that they use to sterilize fish, they use, they use a heat-shocking technique on eggs, The heat shocking technique is effective 94, 95% of the time. Unfortunately, uh, it's not 100% effective. So um, everybody's probably heard of grass carp there in the Asian carp family. Well, the reason that Michigan has a reproducing population of grass carp is because the Fish and Wildlife Service allowed grass carp to be brought into the state of Michigan under the belief that they were sterile and unable to reproduce. So the Fish and Wildlife Service had gotten it wrong, and now we have to deal with the fact that we have a reproducing population of grass carp. Um, We can't take that risk with the hundreds of thousands of fish that are going to be in one of these net pens, having only 94 or 95 percent of them actually being sterile. The reason why that's a problem is that escapement is going to happen. Every place that we've ever had, uh, that has ever had net pens, has had to deal with escapement on some magnitude or, or another. Escapement events can be, you know, fifteen to 20,000 fish. They could be hundreds of thousands and, like, half a million fish. So, the I mean, the scale is kind of all over the map. So, the, the research out there suggests that on an annual basis, you could probably expect to have a level of escapement somewhere about five to ten percent. So, if you have a two hundred thousand, if you have a two hundred thousand fish net pen, and you've got five um, to ten percent, so you know ten to twenty thousand of those fish that are getting out on an annual basis. That ten to twenty thousand fish are potentially reproducing with native rainbow trout, so native steelhead. Uh, or stock seal head. The characteristics that you breed for in a stocking program like what the DNR does in the hatchery system are fundamentally different than the characteristics that you might have um, want in a livestock fish. Livestock fish you're trying to grow from, you know, grow up to two pounds in about a period of seven or eight months. The Department of Natural Resources, it might take them that long to raise a fish from an egg to a fingerling before it can be stocked or longer. Um because the traits that you're looking for are not high, you know, feed to weight conversion rate, um therefore being competitive in the wild, um being able to uh, exhibit the characteristics that are desirable for wild fish, which are totally different characteristics that are desirable from rainbow trout. And if you introduce or the livestock rainbow trout. So if you introduce those genetics into our wild fish, now you've got fish that are not able to compete. Um, They're not going to have the same um, instinct, the same ability to respond to the wild environment, and consequently, they're not going to survive. Well, the problem is is that if all of our stockfish have that genetic integration with the different genetics of the livestock fish, we're going to have very low survivability rates. That's going to affect our catch rates. That's going to totally affect our stocking program.
0: You know what that reminds me of? Jurassic Park. Those velociraptors <laughs> weren't supposed to be able to uh, reproduce. But air. what was it? Uh, Jeff Goldblum says, life, life finds a way. Life will find a way. Actually, I was, I was going to go with, um, You ever watch Friends? No. Dan, you ever watch Friends? The old Friends episodes? It's,
1: yeah, as little as possible. Yeah,
0: so my wife watches those all the time. And they're on reruns all the time. And she and her sister have all the DVDs. And there's this episode where Rachel tells Ross that she's pregnant. And he says, but, but I use I protection. And she says, well, it's only effective like 98% of the time. And he flips out and he says, well, they should put that on the box. Well, that's what I feel like these proponents of fish farms are doing. They need to put that on the box, that it's only effective 95% of the time. And when they go before the, the legislative committees and tell them that, don't worry, these are triploid fish. You know, there's no chance of them reproducing. Basically, they're not putting it on the box. Um, so you've testified a couple times now, right, um, on, on this issue. By the time this airs, you will have testified twice already in, in committees. Um, during those committees, what else are we missing? What, what points are being made both for and against putting these types of facilities on the Great Lakes that that need to be addressed?
1: Well, we hear a lot, you know, that Canada allows this. So on the Lake Huron side, um, or the Canadian side of Lake Huron, there are a handful of nut pen operations. And so um, evidently Canada has now become the vanguard for um, public policy making, decision making in the United States. We should just be more like Canada, apparently. Um. So Canada allowed these things in the ni- late 1980s. Well, immediately they started seeing problems, right? So, um, within within a couple of years of citing some facilities, you, they were getting complaints, having public meetings, and coming up with remediation plans for nutrients. In fact, they shut one facility down uh, because of nutrient pollution, and it hasn't been uh, it hasn't been reopened. And I mean that response. That environment responded almost immediately to the introduction of those nutrients and not in a good way. So, one facility already been shut down over in Canada because of nutrient pollution. The problem is, of course, that you know, once that toothpaste gets out of the tube, it's awfully hard to put back in. So, you know, the idea that um, nut pens should be should be done in the Great Lakes and we can handle all these problems with disease and nutrients and escapement and all that, blah, blah, blah. Well, I think Canada has experienced a good deal of buyer's remorse and in the late 2000s uh, came up with a new regulatory framework which effectively means um, the new regulatory framework is um, very stringent. Uh, The siting requirements are highly specific. Um, The uh, water quality uh, standards are Tough and tough to meet. So what Canada has basically had to do is create a regulatory environment that's so inhospitable to uh, new investment for uh, aquaculture facilities that these guys are looking for someplace else to go. And the last place that we want to be is that race to the bottom. Like mi- they're looking at Michigan because they thi- they figure, you know, look, we can talk some people into coming up with. Um, a bogus regulatory uh, scheme, propose it in some legislation, we'll be able to do this business. Now, they've been soothsaying everybody by, you know, well, it's only, you know, we'll only be 10 locations, it's only 10 nut pens, we should pilot this out, we should try this out. Um, we need to see if we can come up with a way in, in Michigan to regulate it. Now, there's a lot of smart people in the state of Michigan, but I don't really believe that we're that much smarter than everyone else in the world who's been doing this for decades, and that we're going to somehow figure out a way to mitigate the disease concerns, the nutrient concerns, and the escapement issues, where literally no one else has been able to do that. So um, we've kind of seen this movie. We've seen it in Norway, Chile, British Columbia, Maine. Uh, We've seen it in the Canadian waters of Lake Huron. Uh, nobody's been able to deal with disease, no one's been able to deal with escapement, and, and no one has been able to deal with nutrients, and we won't either. Um, our snowflake isn't that much more special than anyone else's. We're not that different. Um, the regulatory framework, I even kind of hesitate to call it that, the um, but whatever's proposed in this legislation um, that they're describing as a regulatory framework does nothing to address any of those issues. So... Um, real smart man this morning, Dr. Howard Tanner in committee, um, said that you know smart people learn from their mistakes. Really smart people learn from the mistakes of others. We don't need a pilot program in the state of Michigan. We don't need to allow the camel's nose to get under the tent to know what the outcome is going to be. The outcome is going to be bad for fish, bad for people, and bad for water, bad for Michigan's economy. So, uh, Dan, this, this
0: question keeps getting asked in committee. Have you ever personally visited the Canadian aquaculture facilities?
1: I have never shut my head in my car door, but I don't need to do that to know that it's a bad idea and that it would hurt. I don't need to go see some facility when there are literally stacks of data uh, on my desk describing the problems associated with NetPen aquaculture. Um, interestingly enough, the person who keeps asking that question <laughs> hasn't even been to those facilities either. That was revealed
0: in committee this morning, and I, I just got to share this. This this legislator had been asking this of every single person that testified in support of the idea of banning net pens in the Great Lakes, and every single person he said, "Okay, have you been to this facility personally?" And finally, one of the other legislators turned to him and says, well, Representative, have you? And he said, no, I have not. As soon as he said that, the whole committee room, everybody in the audience just snickered just a little bit. And it it was kind of great. So, Logan, Canada allowed this at one point. And so if Canada allowed this and their regulations, clearly we should adopt them. What would you say if the U.S. adopted Canada's gun regulations?
1: Wow, that's
0: a terrible idea. Really, we should go the opposite direction of Canada, pretty much everything. And here's where I would say, though, that Michigan is a, to use your term, a special snowflake. We have more fresh water than anybody. You know, we are, we are the only state that is completely surrounded well, at least on most of our sides, like eight of our coasts, by the Great Lakes. You know, so I've I've heard this comment that, well, there's, there's other states that border the Great Lakes that could potentially allow this. But we are the only ones that are surrounded by the Great Lakes that derive as much economic benefit from the Great Lakes, that get as much of our drinking water from the Great Lakes within the Great Lakes Basin. And we're the only one that Enjoys what the Great Lakes has to offer as much as we do. And what all that means is that, unlike some of the other states, that sure, down the line, some of them could potentially authorize some of this, but none of them have to lose what we do if we screw it up.
1: There's one other fallacy um, that gets repeated a lot in the committee and by the proponents, that we have this obligation to feel... Feed the world, and that um, we're going to feed the world. Uh, Great Lakes rainbow trout, and that's somehow going to solve, um, you know, the world hunger crisis. So, here's the problem with that: the uh, you're not going to you're not going to feed the world, you know, one white tablecloth dinner at a time. The kind of fish that they want to grow in the Great Lakes are going to end up in restaurants in Chicago, New York, Detroit, Grand Rapids, Milwaukee. They're not going overseas to to feed the world, to solve some hunger crisis that exists out there. It's an absurd argument that they make. Um, We are the ones on our side of the issue that get accused of emotionalism when the data is so clear and so overwhelming that we don't need to be emotional about this at all, uh, yet the proponents of this legislation start every conversation by talking about our obligation uh, to feed to feed the world. Um, it was interesting, I think that it got pointed out today, the constitutional obligation that our lawmakers have to ensure uh, the quality of Michigan's water and to protect our water resources.
0: I think sometimes when they make that feed the world argument they almost do it with a straight face too almost i've yet, I've yet to see it um you know the the one uh, person providing testimony today talked about that constitutional provision in the michigan constitution that says that we have a duty uh to protect our natural resources and one of the legislatures did point out too that there's also in there the legislature has a duty to also develop natural resources but let's make something really clear here Farm-raised fish are not natural resources. The wild fish in the Great Lakes are natural resources. Develop the, developing those natural resources is what happens when you go out and you go fishing for them. So what happens when you hire a charter boat and go out and catch a few of them, and maybe bring them to a catch and cook restaurant, you know, on your own. That provides people with jobs, and you know, both for cooks and waitresses and waiters and you name it. If you If you put farm-raised fish into a big pen in the Great Lakes, those are not natural resources. By putting those in, you actually impair the ability to develop the real natural resources, which are the wild fish. So that was something that, you know, I wasn't testifying today. I heard that. I wanted to respond, but, you know, you don't want people randomly yelling out things from the crowd in a committee room.
1: That's generally discouraged. (laughs) Yep. So
0: we have covered now a half hour on aquaculture. Um, and, and I think that we need to make something really clear here. We're not against aquaculture. There's right ways to do it. Um, we're just against putting fish farms in the Great Lakes in open water public trust situations that damage the wild fisheries. What's, what are some of the ways that aquaculture can be done without risking the public fisheries?
1: There are closed-loop facilities, so recirculating systems where you're drawing groundwater and depositing that water into a retention pond or pool or something like that where you're where you're raising fish, you're treating the water. It's a loop, right? Um, so that's one way that you can do it. Um, there are ways where you can develop aquaculture – where there's no connection to a public water body. So um, there are some aquaculture operations that exist in quarries um, where, again, you know, deep water segregated from any connection to a public water body. Um, so a lot of the issues that we have about nutrients, disease transmission, escapement, those are all mitigated when there's no connection to the public water body. I mean, that's the, that's the key. Um, our interest in this issue... Um, begins and ed- ends at the water 's edge, so when the waters that you depend on uh, to engage in aquaculture necessarily depend upon being drawn from or making use of a public water body we 're going to have an issue with that um, but, so so wh- why wouldn 't like these people that want to push this type of aquaculture
0: in the great lakes why don 't they do a closed loop instead what what 's the difference from their end why, why wouldn 't they choose a closed loop? Over in the middle of the Great Lakes.
1: Well, you know, I, they wouldn't choose that closed loop system, you know, or some of those other systems because they're capital intensive. You know, they require investment, um, acquisition of real property, acquisition of equipment, blah blah blah. So the opportunity costs are higher. By putting them into Great Lakes, they're able to transfer the opportunity costs and the liability onto you and to me as the owners of that public trust resource. So. You know, it's a much less capital-intensive uh, enterprise. Um, you know, basically, it's the cheap solution. So fouling your waters with fish poop and nutrients and all that kind of thing, um, exacerbating and you know accelerating the transmission of fish disease, and um, you know, creating genetic pollution with wild fish and stocked fish and our stocked fishery um, are simply the the price that we get to pay. Um, for someone else being able to close off and appropriate for a private purpose your public water body.
0: So basically, if they do the close loop, they're putting the money up front to guard against the risk of damaging the public resource. But that costs them the money, so instead they want to put it in the middle of your Great Lakes so that if something goes wrong, the public, the citizens of Michigan, you and me, we subsidize their risk of something going wrong. And that's basically what it comes down to. So call your legislator. Go on to MUCC.org. Click on one of the, the action alerts. So there's a blog that says Northern Michigan rejects Great Lakes aquaculture. It has a list of phone numbers and email addresses for Northern Michigan state representatives call them let them know that you're part of that 77 percent of northern michigan residents or that 68 percent of michigan residents and voters statewide who oppose aquaculture through net pen fish farms in the great lakes and then while you're there also go on to mucc.org on the ground Um, We actually have a wildlife habitat project coming up on February 20th. It's going to be at the Gratiot-Saginaw State Game Area. Instead of risking damaging fish and wildlife habitat like some of these fish farms are doing, we're actually going to be volunteering to proactively improve wildlife habitat by cutting uh, some invasive trees and making brush piles out of them that create great habitat for small game like cottontail rabbits. Um, This is a project that we'll be doing Um, I'm sure that Douglas Reeves will be there, the recently retired assistant chief of the wildlife division of the DNR who really helped us kick this on-the-ground program off the ground. Our excellent wildlife volunteer coordinator, Sarah Topp, will be there. And this is part of the projects that are funded by hunter and angler and trapper license fee dollars uh, through the Michigan Department of Natural Resources Wildlife Habitat Grants.
1: Yeah. So we're going to build a wall around the Great Lakes and make Canada pay for it. Is this the part in the show where you just Just, sprinkle your folksy (laughs) wisdom on everybody? That's the part where we cut it out. Are you like the Andy Rooney of the Michigan Outdoors podcast? (laughs) If so, you need to grow your eyebrows out a little bit more. (laughs) Focus less on the beard, more on the eyebrows. You're right, because I go home and I trim these bad boys up every (laughs) single (laughs) evening.
0: I think this is the part where we say, this has been episode 23 of the Michigan Outdoors podcast. We'll see you in two weeks. Make the Great Lakes great again.
1: Thank you for listening to another edition Of Michigan Out of Doors Podcast Defend your rights to hunt Fish and
0: trap By joining MUCC At MUCC.org